Hello, welcome to my podcast. Um, my first podcast was about my mom's perspective on how she felt about me having cancer, brain tumors, going navigating my situation. But I think I want to do a podcast about how I felt about my situation. Um, you know, having cancer, well, first of all, let's start with me having neurofibrosis at a very, very young age. My first surgery, um, for people that know my personal life, was four or five years old at Chapel Hill Hospital here in North Carolina. I had a tumor on my my left arm. Um, I you know the story goes. They told my mama had a disease called neurofibrosis. What neurofibrosis is. You know, you have tumors every so often. They come across your body. They might turn into cancer. They might not. So I had a couple of tumors throughout the years of my life. But, you know, when I got cancer, I think I was 18, 17, 18, 19, around those years. When I first got cancer, I thought that I wanted to live. I wanted to live. I wanted to beat this. I didn't want to die. I know God was real. I knew that <clears throat> that I wanted to be an example because my grandfather had died of cancer. He had mouth cancer. But he had died many, many, many years ago from smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. So he died of mouth cancer. And I knew from the stories, you know, I was told how it just took him over. It eventually killed him. I didn't want to be in that boat. So, you know, I was very, very emotional you know, very destructive to myself when I found out I first got cancer and then had to go through the chemo and then had to go through the surgery and then had to go through the just the mental of it being a young person, being a very vibrant person. People that know that I was very vibrant, very colorful, things of that nature. And now go into this slow depression being being this person that I don't know what was happening to me. I didn't know if I was going to live one day or die the next. I had a lot of blood transfusions. Didn't want to have blood transfusions. I had a lot of ambulance coming to my house. You know, I had a lot of temperatures over 101 you know what they say is if your temperature is over 101 and you can't break your fever it's time for you to go back to the hospital and had a lot of those times you know having an ambulance come and pick me up from my home 
and happened to go way to Chapel Hill to spend two weeks in the hospital just to break my fever. <clears throat> I think I've had a lot of lonely nights, even though I wasn't by myself because my mother was by my side, but which I had support. I had outside support from my friends and my, you know, family members and my mother and my brother, people who live in my home. But inside it was it was drowning me. And then when the leg stuff started to happen, and then on top of me having the replacements of the leg and you know, people ask me all the time, would you would have went through this knowing, you know, you know, they say eyesight's 2020. I always say no. If I knew that I would have had so much trouble with that leg, all the infections, all the surgeries, and things of that nature, I would have cut that leg off, told him to cut that leg off when all this stuff first happened. Because I wouldn't have dared go through that because that was a whole nother emotional toll that I was taking on. I had spent so much money and my mother had spent so much money on buying creams and this and that from places like Europe and Asia and China to try to fix my leg to say, okay, it's just this, let's just move on. It, me being oblivious, not I guess not oblivious, that's the right word, me being scared of the imputation, I was, you know, put it off, let's mask it down, don't worry about the infection, it'll go away, take your antibiotics, I was taking so many antibiotics at a time, it was crazy. And you know, when I finally went to have the leg amputated, come to find out, all the antibiotics in the world would not have cleared my infection because I had a flesh-eating bacteria. It was killing me. It was seeping into my bloodstream. I'm just like, Lord, what have I done, Lord? And then afterwards, it was just like, when the surgery was over, I tell you, people think I'm cuckoo when I say this. It was a dream come true. The leg was gone. The pain was gone. You know, I had one leg, but hey, I was still alive. You know, I had a, I have a fantastic you know, um, amputee leg, you know, I walk around, I get around really well in it, but my struggle with the cancers, yes, I say cancers, more than two, um, I think it took a toll on me, a toll on just a lot of stuff that I don't talk about personal, being very depressed, 
being very emotional. I was already, a, you know, this type of emotional type of person, colorful person anyway. But in my own dark hole, I'm very emotional, very depressed about certain situations. You know, then I have the brain tumor that I'm dealing with. This is the, I want to say the second or third brain tumor. It's been so much that I can't even keep up anymore. And, you know, having the surgeries for the brain tumor, I tell you, the second surgery for the brain tumor. So I had the first surgery. They had to kind of beg and plead with me to have the first brain surgery. Okay. So it's not, it wasn't a typical brain surgery, you know, as I was thinking in the beginning, you know, they go cut your head and go into your brain and get the brain tumor. No, they went up my nose and pulled the brain tumor out. Perfect. Right. Fine. So I was in the hospital for maybe four or five days. I didn't, what they said was, you cannot drink drink out of a straw. You can't blow your nose for 45 days. Okay, cool, whatever. So, you know, you don't do that for a while, whatever, the 45 days. I I, I think I went overboard and did a little more. Just, let me tell you, you know, just having the first sneeze was disgusting. That might be a little bit too much information. But hey, I'm being real. So let's move on with the story. But it was just like, okay, then boom, another brain tumor comes. And you're like, what in the world? Another brain tumor is here? What are you talking about? And now I had the second brain tumor. My surgeon who did my surgery says that we could not get all the brain tumor because it was embedded in your brain. It was embedded in your skull. So we're not going to touch all of it. So now I'm living, which I call half of the second brain tumor. So yes, I have headaches. I'm very fatigued because the brain tumor, which people who don't understand is on my pituitary gland. My pituitary gland controls my speech, my movement in my face, the way I feel, things of that nature. So, you know, yes, I have to put testosterone gel on, take medication for the rest of my life. You know, I'm dealing with some stuff, but look, I'm alive. So, I think that I still have a lot of emotion about all the stuff I went through and having 67 rounds of chemotherapy. I still have some slight effects of having so much chemo. Like, I have have hot flashes. I'm having a hot flash now. It can be cold outside, and I'm up here fainting because I have a hot flash. That's just real. That's just real talk. I had been in the house. I had fell multiple times. I had blacked out multiple times. Um, either because of pain or because of whatever's going on with my pituitary gland. 
you know, but like I said, I have multiple, multiple support. I have people that pray for me, that wish me well. Um, so I think I just need to move on and get out of my own way. But, you know, even though I say, Kevin, you, today's a good day, you feel good, you're doing good, you're out doing stuff. But still, I have days that people that really know me know this, that I don't even get out of my bed. And that's the truth. And, you know, I always try to put on, you know, when you, you know, you're going through stuff, you try to put on that front, like, everything is fine, everything is fine. You know, this happened. I went to the hospital. Ah, you know, it's fine, but it's really not fine. I'm, I put on the front because I'm, even though I'm a very outspoken person, I'm the type of person that don't ask me my business. If I ain't tell you my business, don't ask me my business. I feel like I'm that type of person, but I feel like with all that I'm going through and that have went through, I can be a vessel of listening ear. I'm a very good listening ear with other people's problems. But I'm not really that vocal on my own situation because, you know, hey, I'm not the only one that's been sick in this world. It's been hundreds of millions of people that have been sick. But I'm just telling you my story. So maybe the way I'm telling it, you know, free and stuff like that, that would help other people, you know, in their crisis, you know, especially now, you know, with COVID and stuff now, you know, I have to be very careful. You know, I do go out and stuff like that. Even though my immune system is compromised, I do go out. I don't go out as much um, anymore. Because of COVID. Um, so, but, hey, you know, I'm still having problems with my testosterone level. I think um, testosterone is really, really low. And that kind of compromises my immune system, too. You know, where I don't have really no energy and, you know, I'm, I'm dragging. It takes me a little longer to get from, you know... Now you want to get out of the bed, just jump out the bed, then get in the shower, take a shower, stuff like that. I always say I have, I tell my friend, I have this wall, this window of space. It is maybe a 25 to 30 minute window where I feel good in the day, where I get out of my bed, and then get into the shower and get myself together. If when I feel that window, I know when I need to jump up and just do it. Because if I don't do it, it's that's it. Nothing else is gonna happen. I'm not gonna take a shower. I'm not gonna do anything. That's just it because that's who I am at this point in time in my life. You know, I have had counseling, you know, I've talked to people about, you know, what was going on with me and how I should handle it. And they all give me the same exact answer. Hey, talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about your feelings more. Be open about what you feel. And to be honest, I really haven't been that open 
I think as I said before, but like my mother, I worry sometimes um, because I can have a nosebleed or throw up or any of that stuff and I won't say a thing. I think I tell one of my friends, but I won't say a thing to my mother, to my brother about it. Because if people that been to my home, well, my mother's home, you know that my bedroom was on the bottom floor and her bedroom was on the top floor. So I can do whatever I got to do here, clear my stuff up, clean the stuff up, whatever, and go about my business. But I've had some really scary moments um, at night, you know, where my nose is bleeding for no apparent reason. Or I have to run to the bathroom, you know, for no apparent reason. And I'm, I always think back, like, oh, all the times when I was in that hospital, all the times I didn't know if I was going to survive. Even though, you know, you believe in God, you trust in God, you read the word, you figure it out for yourself, you really don't know. And it's hard um, to be like, you know, trusting God, believing God, believing God, you know, that's your, that's who you look to. But, you know, God has this time for everybody, for everybody. I have watched a family who was in the same hallway as me a mother, a father, and two children all died. All died. And I'm like, God, I'm still here. And other people that have been around me always say, Kevin, 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 you have a purpose. You need to tell your story. God has something for you. This is why you're still here, Kevin. And I'm always like, I tell a little bit, you know, speak a little bit here, speak a little bit there. But they say, no, no, no. Tell like, If I meet a stranger and they say it's something about you, tell your story. Tell your story. Tell this, tell that. People need to hear what you have to say. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But, you know, that thing in my mind, like, you know, the little boy in me, because I get my mind like, hey, you ain't the only one that got this story. What makes it so what makes it so grand and your story so good and you know people want to hear your story. It's always that little bit of something in the background that always says that to me. Just a little something. But anyway, back to my previous note. Um, yes, I have seen a family die, a whole family. And I was always sitting there like Wait a minute, God, I'm still here. What? Jesus Christ. I can't believe it, Lord. But I thank God for it. And let me tell you something. I'm not trying to say my story is no better or no worse than nobody else's. Okay? I'm just telling my story and my truth. I'm telling you, I went through some shit at Chapel Hill Hospital. It was no cakewalk for me. It was no cakewalk for my family. It was no cakewalk, not just my family. My mother 
who spent every hour she possibly could through every surgery that she possibly could. That was no cakewalk. The transformation on my body was no cakewalk. Them telling me after all that, after 67 rounds of chemotherapy, they come in the room and telling me it was the weirdest day. I was sitting back in the bed and I was looking at Mork and Mindy. I love me some Robin Williams and Mork and Mindy. And I was sitting back and looking at TV, laughing and kiki and all types of stuff, having a good old time. And doctors came in there. When the doctors in the lab coat and they surround your bed. And so they talking. And I'm still just trying to look at this part that Robin Williams is doing on Mork and Mindy, right? When the doctor takes the remote control, physically takes the remote control out of your hand. And, and cut the TV off and says to you, we need your full attention. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? Kevin, we cannot do anything else for you. I said, okay, what does that mean? Because, you know, you're in a hospital, you're in the best hospital you know, Chapel Hill, if people know about Chapel Hill, we know that's the best hospital. What's going on? We can't do nothing else for you. I said, so nothing else for me? My mom's asking questions. I can't remember what she said. And I'm looking and she's looking at me and we're like, what does that mean? You know? And they was like, well, we're going to send you home with hospice. When hospice, when you get home, hospice will be at your house. I say, well, we both agree because, you know, we always talk about stuff before it happens. Just in case to be on the same page. I was like, no. She was like, no. We was like, me, her, and God, we got this. She had bought me some new pajamas. You know, I love my pajamas and stuff. People that know me, I love my pajamas. She bought me some new pajamas. And I went in the bathroom. I took a shower. I was in the shower crying and praying. And Lord Jesus, not now. I'm still too young. I'm still, you know, just giving, just giving God the praise of what he has done, you know, for me. You know, in this hospital, in my life, in my family's life, things of that nature. But I'm still crying, too, that I am scared. I'm physically scared. So, I took a shower, got myself together. I think that's the longest time that I have spent in the shower. And let's keep it all the way funky. Um... It was a long time, you know, I was crying and trying to get myself together. My leg wasn't no good no more because it had been through so many surgeries by this point in time. It really wasn't no good. So that kind of took some time, you know, trying to get dressed and stuff like that too, right? To keep it all the way funky. So, um, 
we I got, came out, you know, came out the shower, had, had my pajamas and stuff on, had my shoe, put my shoes and stuff on, and my stuff was already packed because, like I said, me and her had had a conversation prior if this day ever happened. Went on home. I'm telling you one thing. That was the most quiet ride that me and her have ever been on. If you know my mama, my mama is a talker. If it, you know, people that know her know she's a talker. I was just in there. I was, I fell asleep. We got home. I crawled into her bed. You know, went to the bathroom, got my, you know, I had already took a shower, you know, when I was at the hospital. In the hospital to my home, about two hours. So I was cool. Had my deodorant and stuff on. You know, I was cool. Got in her bed. And I was in her bed for 30 days. When I tell you exactly 30 days, because my mom had a calendar and she marked 30 days. My doctors called every single day, sometimes even twice a day, because they were so concerned about me and how I was doing, or if I passed, or whatever the case may be. So, um, each day, my mom prayed over me. Family prayed. My friends prayed for wherever they were. Prayed up for me, you know, on my situation. And each day, I got better and better and better. So, for people who say that, you know, God ain't real. God don't change things. You know. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm a living testament that God is real because ain't no man do this or ain't no woman do this. God did this. You know, like I said, and I still have my, you know, my faults and my struggles within life, you know, because I didn't have my leg, you know, amputated until years after that, you know. So... And I, and people, I think some people look at me crazy when I say this. Even though I survived cancer, I survived brain tumors, I survived amputations, I have survived so much in my young life. I still, to this day, and this is December 2020, I won't date this, I still believe to this day that my, dealing with my leg, you know, the problems I went through with my leg, the infections, the rods, and Things of that nature. Me having all those pain pills from my leg because when I had an infection in my leg the second time, they had to, you know, take the rod out, put a spacer in there, scrub the leg and stuff out. You know, it hurt so bad. 
it hurt so bad. I had to. I well, first of all, I was on all these pills, you know, oxycontin and Percocet and all those type of drugs. None of them worked. I literally, literally, had to pray it away. You understand what I'm saying? When I say I had to pray it away, I had to pray it away. It was no joke. I was in so much pain. My brother, let me tell you something. You're talking about a brother. I got a brother. My brother did everything under the sun for me. Wiped me, all types of stuff. Took me to the bathroom, got me dressed, all types of stuff. Cleaned my mess up when I was sick and couldn't do it myself. Things of that nature. So let me tell you, I got a brother, okay? And my brother was good to me. And still is good to me because sometimes I have a little setback and set falls and things of that nature. But I still say to this day that my amputee, my being amputated was the easiest, the easiest surgery that I have ever had. So I told you a little bit about my story. You know, I hope that it does somebody well in their life to hear, you know, a little bit about what I've been what I've been going through with cancers and brain tumors and amputations and things of that nature. Um, I thank God. I thank my family. I thank my friends. That's my my true friends. You know, you say you have friends. And they like fail rather friends. Friends are there from you know some days. You don't speak them like three or four years. No, my true friends, and it's only a couple of them. Okay, I thank them very very much for standing by me. My family, my mother. I love my mother so much. I thank her for standing by me because it has been a long road. It's been 20 years. 20 years. And I'm so blessed and I know God is real. I know that you know, prayer is real. I'm a living testament that prayer is real. So, I thank you for listening to my podcast and each and every one of you have a blessed day. Bye-bye.